welcome to episode 22 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Thanks to all the listeners of this podcast and the supporters of the social media pages. It is greatly appreciated. I always try to find people who can show us various parts of our vibrant soccer slash football community. Hopefully you, the listener, have appreciated each interview thus far. I believe I am recording great memories, thoughts and history. This episode's interviewee came from England in the 1960s and started his Australian soccer journey at Ferry Meadow Hostel Soccer Club. After this, Dr Ian Sison ventured elsewhere with his family, but in recent years he has used his vocational and natural skills as a historian and writer to uncover slash enlighten myself and many others about the many great historical narratives our sport in Australia has to offer. In this episode, I ask Ian about his journey, a couple of subjects relating to the Illawarra region, plus a few other bits and pieces. I am extremely grateful Ian gave me his time and patience. The recording is not the best, and to him and you, the listener, I apologise. I will endeavour to do better next time. Before we get into it, the podcast, I implore you to look at Ian's work on his blog, Neos Osmos, his books, Google for further details as there are a few, his great show with Paul Mavridis on Football Nation Radio called If You Know Your History, and his work he is completing with other great people called First Kicks. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Um, we're here on a Friday evening and um, I've got a special guest in Dr Ian Sison. Uh, Ian, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Travis. Um, Ian and myself uh, in uh, you know several different interactions over the years have uh, uh, sort of met online um, about yeah. soccer history Um to let everyone know, uh, the listener, about Ian. Um, he's a historian and a writer, um, and, um, you know, he's a list of uh, books and, and other items are, are pretty extensive, but um, I guess for me, uh, the way I found out about Ian um, was um, first on Twitter, um, and then his blog, Neos Osmos, um, and then as well, um, in recent times, people may have... Uh, heard of him um, with his show with Paul Mavridis on Football Nation Radio, If You Know Your History, and um, earlier on in the year, which we will talk about tonight on Fox Sports, um, he had a, a great segment about the soccer ashes. So um, is that a, a fair uh, yeah, look, that, that, brief that's potted good. history? That, that, that's, that's pretty good. I, I think I started the blog before I started Twitter, though. Um, I can't quite remember now, but, I mean, I, the, they really worked hand-in-hand, hand, the blog and Twitter. I was, I was tweeting a lot of, um, of the material I was putting up on the blog, and, um, yeah, it, uh, it was... Uh, I, 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 was, I was a sort of early user of Trove. Yep. Uh, and uh, I guess your listeners will know what Trove is. Trove is the digital um, uh, newspaper service that comes out of the National Library, um, the historical newspaper service, and uh, 
I I found my way in there and I got lost, happily lost, and uh, was finding soccer stuff um, and f- found that I needed a way to 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 share with what I share what I was finding. So I, I set up a blog and used Twitter to 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 to, um, to spread the word, and it, it worked very well. And yeah. and and if we uh, delve back a bit further. Um... Uh, you weren't uh, uh, born in Australia. You came from England. Is that yeah, right? That's right. And I, um, the first place I lived in, uh, in Australia was Fairy Meadow, in the hostel there. So, so what do you remember about that? I, I guess um, you know, I had a, a, a post uh, maybe eighteen months ago um, that you uh, sent through a, an image of a, a Fairy Meadow. Hostel yeah. pennant from 1969 yeah. Yeah. when you were a nine-year-old, and um, that yeah. um, people love that um, those pennants because they they are of their time, but they're they're beautiful yeah. to look yeah. at. They are, it's, and I've still got it here. I've got it nice and protected, and I've got that pennant, and I've got another one from Anglo Soccer Club in Mount Isa, which was a, a smaller pennant, but it's a sort of beautiful little maroon thing. But yeah, that was. Um, Coming to Australia and coming to Fairy Meadow, you know, I don't know if people will disbelieve this, but it was like coming to paradise. I left this cold, brutal place. You know, we lived in industrial Yorkshire. Okay. And and uh, and we came to this place that I, I, I lived in the in the migrant hostel, and a hundred yards from where we lived was a creek. Um, and in that creek, where all the kids on the hostel used to go fishing for crabs and eels, and and then, you know, the other side of the hostel, the beach side, was the beach, of course. And we used to go down to the beach and explore, and um, it was just phenomenal. It was uh, it was a it was a release from into paradise. And I mean, maybe people who live in Wollongong will think that's kind of weird. Or, no, was, I, I think it's. Uh... Uh, still a loved area, and some of those uh, yeah. hostels still remain as part of the yeah. uh, University of Wollongong's Innovation yeah. Campus. And um, uh, where you would walk down to the beach back then um, is now um, uh, an, an estate where um, uh, it has really? some walking tracks. And yeah. I guess there wasn't as many trees when you were probably um, exploring in '69, um, and yeah. and now it's sort of gone back to nature a bit more. So, um, I, imagine, I imagine the creek's been filled in. It's um, there is uh, there is yeah. There's surrounding uh, houses, but um, fairy yeah. fairy creek, which I think it is um, the right. one you're talking about, and a couple of yeah. little tributaries um, flow into that. So, so yeah. do you remember anything of that that time at Fairy Meadow Hostel in terms of soccer, or did you already have an interest, or is that when you first started no, well, playing? That, that's the weird thing, you know, like. Um, I, I followed the game in England, but and, and I played it on the street. Um, but the, the, the access to, to competition was was just not there. Yep. And I only, you know, I had to come to Australia to play organised um, football, and um, that that's kind of interesting. That's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't uh, sound the, the way it, the way we think yeah. it would be. Yeah, and, it, and I mean that that that's prepared me for one of the important lessons of, of history research, especially in relation to continental Europeans, you know, they didn't bring the game necessarily. The continental Europeans got here and there were other Europeans who had the game 
And so they gravitated to that. And so there are people like Don Di Fabrizio, who's a, who was a bit of a mover and shaker down here, an Italian, who yep. um, wasn't interested in soccer until he came to um, un, until he came to Melbourne. And that, but he realised that soccer had this power to support the, the, the Italian community. And so he got involved and other people got involved. And it's the same with the Greek community, I think. A lot of Greeks didn't actually have soccer when they got here, but they certainly took it up. And that's um, so my experience, even though I did have soccer, I followed the game quite, you know, quite strongly. But in, as a player, I, I didn't have it. And so, yeah, that, 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 that prepared me. Yeah, well, like you said, um, all those different uh, diasporas that... Um spread out through the world but more so in Australia and and Illawarra as well um they brought a, a lot of beauty and um richness yeah. to our game which you know in the Illawarra yeah. there's you know um still uh you know four Macedonian clubs uh, a Greek yeah. club uh, an Italian club and Serbian club Croatian um you know um yeah for well, not not in recent times but you know there was a Chilean club a, a Portuguese club um, right. a Spanish club um, so there's been a whole different mix and, and I guess and that's, a... but that's, that's overlaid on top of a, a very strong core yeah of, definitely uh, if you like traditional clubs or uh, historical clubs and, um, and we've been talking with the Newcastle people um, and it seems to me to be a similar story up there as well and we compare that we compared that uh, last night um, on the show with the situation in Melbourne, where, where uh, I think the uh, the continental European clubs in the post-war period basically made the game theirs because, uh, and they sort of swamped the the existing culture, and not in a bad way. I don't think it was. No, a, definitely it was, not. I, don't think it was, I don't think it was a takeover, but the, the existing culture wasn't that deeply rooted, wasn't that strong and uh, or effective, and so. When the Greeks and the Italians set their clubs up, and the, and the Maltese and uh, and whatever, and they set their clubs up, they really made a statement. And we lacked that sort of balance, and we still lack that balance. I think you've got a really admirable balance in uh, in the north coast and the and the south coast in, in New South Wales between those old clubs and and the more recent um, continental European clubs. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. and in terms of um, yourself, obviously uh, your vocation in life, um, um, being a historian, and, and and how did you first gravitate towards, you know, football, soccer, um, well, as part of as part of uh, what you do in your working life? Well, I'll let you on a little secret. I'm not actually a professional historian per se. I'm I'm a um, I, I taught literature. Yep. Uh, I, my, my PhD was on uh, Australian literature and I teach writing and editing and um, so I've come to history from the side and the reason I even started writing um, about about the game was um, was because I um, what am I trying to say? Was I developed a relationship with a literary editor of the age, Jason Steger, who's also a football fan. He's a Wimbledon yeah. supporter. And uh, he started throwing soccer books at me. And I, I, you know, I reviewed them 
and, you know, and, and really enjoyed it. And I thought, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I've got something that's worth saying as well, I think. So uh, around this time too, my sons started playing the game. So I, I sort of I got immersed in, in, the, in, the, in culture and also the kind of biases against soccer in Melbourne life. And I thought, well, there's a, there's a, politic, there's a political problem here. That, you know, and yep. whenever there's a political problem, I, I, my sort of my juices flow, if you like, and so I, I took the bull by the horns and um, and started writing more and more about soccer. I, I, I forced myself on Roy Hay. I, I introduced myself to him, and he's he's been very supportive of me since then. So that was in the in the mid uh, early two thousands, and, um, so, and I, so so only recently then, in, yeah, in a so sense. Probably for the last last. 14 years I've been writing about soccer. The first thing I ever had published on soccer was a, a review of the movie Goal. Okay. Uh, a big piece. It was a big um, feature. I paid $1,200 for it too. It was unbelievable. Is that the one um, with Sylvester Stallone and Pelé? Is that the No, no, no. no which that's one's a, that? That's, a, that's Escape the Victory. That's oh, the one. the one about... Um, oh, this is a more modern version. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it was about the Mexican boy who gets... Um, who ends up in Newcastle and um, in England? Oh, and right. Yeah, I forget his name, but there was—I I thought it was a terrific movie, and I, and I thought, you know, I thought it had a, you know, a lot of—it was doing a lot of propaganda work, you know, good propaganda work, and that's what was my article was about. And so I realised I had something to say. I had a passion for the game, I, you know, and so I, I, I shifted basically from what I used to do. I, I was a publisher. I was the editor of Overland Magazine, which was a, which was a very important Australian literary magazine. Yeah. Um, I'd set up a publishing company, um, and I sort of I let those things go to one side to some extent, um, and, and devoted myself to soccer history. And and in terms of your, um, you know, your blog Neos Osmos, uh, I think people, um, if they haven't. Um, been onto that blog um, or the site. Um, apologies if I don't get the technical term right, but you know one of the things and that passion um, in your writing definitely comes across in in what you yeah. put up there. Um, yeah. The first kicks. Can you tell us a, a bit about first kicks and and how that came about? Well, first kicks came about um, out of an observation that I made, and first kicks is an attempt to document. The first moment of soccer in every location in Australia, and not you know doesn't it's not it's has nothing to do with what happens subsequently. Yep. Although we we could develop the site in that way, but it's about documenting those first moments of the game, and um, and so I, uh, I, uh, I I noted that there was a particularly strong um, rural presence in different parts of um, different moments in Australian history and I thought well I'm gonna, I want to capture this and so if you if you go to first kicks you'll notice that there's a um, an enormous number of country towns in Western Australia and even in Victoria that that they get documented in 1912 or 1914 or or whenever you know Mildura in 1895 and it's I was just intrigued by the way in which that history was so pressed, so hidden in, in mainstream Australian sporting life. You know, the idea that there was a soccer culture in Mildura in the late in the 1890s seemed to me to be 
both brilliant but also absurd. Yeah, it's fascinating, um, isn't it? Yeah, and so, but it's all around Australia, and you know, it it truly was the national game in in 1914 in terms of geographic spread. It was everywhere, and that was that was you know on the back of a lot of migration. You know, a lot of English and Irish and Scottish migrants had come here and and brought their love of the game, but they also built on top of um, uh, you know existing culture as well. So, and that would surprise a lot of people, and and I would yeah. encourage. You know, I've only got a small listening base, um, you yeah. know, 50 to 120 people, but uh, I would encourage them um, to definitely have a look at the blog first and foremost, yeah. but to uh, um, have a look at those my... kicks because you've revamped it in, in recent times um, with yeah, the help of today, other gentlemen as well. Yeah, today, so Gary McKenzie's been a big help on that, and my son also, Harry, he, he helped me today. Um, we, we, and we just sort of launched the prototype new version. Excellent. And we've, got, we've got about 500 different locations around Australia. And I think the job's about half done, but I think we now have the structure that's going to be appropriate for, for developing that site further. You know, I urge people to look at it, but also, I mean, you know, self-interested. <laughs> yeah, but if, read my book, you know. Um, there's, a, there's a section in the book on rural, uh, soccer in rural Australia. And people will have the um, their eyes opened, I think, to a really amazing story. Um, yeah, yeah, well, soccer has so many uh, tentacles in Australia than yeah, people realise. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's 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 you know it's it's a game that has been just about everywhere. It's it's faded, and you know, and it's, it's been suppressed and been you know it's fallen over, but it's got up again. It keeps getting up. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is the this is the great strength of the game. And and in terms of uh, changing subjects, there, um, and and one of the reasons why I wanted to um, first firstly get you on on the, on the podcast was um, a gentleman by the name of Walter Ernest Bondi Neal. Um, yep. And and before we talk about him, um, he was an Indigenous player, and I'll get you to describe yep. it better than me. But what originally piqued your interest in, in Aboriginal participation in soccer? Well, it's, um, I mean, like all, all of my stories, I all seem to end up having a personal dimension. Yep. Um, I, you know, as, as I've discussed, I, I first played in Ferry Meadow, but then we, we did another migration and we migrated internally in Australia to, to northwest Queensland, to Mount Isa. And uh, and uh, and my dad got involved in the, um, in the in the organisational side of the game, and he encouraged me to play for the club I played for, which was Anglo, <laughs> the the ethnic team. The Mount Isa had eight, eight ethnic teams in 1970: um, uh, Anglo, Scotties, Irish, Blue Adriatic, International, Scandia, Iceland, the only French team. Some brilliant names. Yeah. And I think I've missed one. Concordia, the German team. And I played for Anglo, being a POM. And um, and uh, I played with two Aboriginal kids. They were in the team. And they just happened to be the best players in the team. And I'll, I'll name them. They were the Saltmere brothers. Um, yep. They were a, 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 a strong family up in uh, northwest Queensland. And... Dad, Dad loved them. He thought they were um, terrific players. He, he loved their, you know, their spirit in which they played the game. He, he loved their skill. 
and you know they were they were great kids, but you know what you know what the next part of the story is, don't you? When they were about twelve, thirteen, yep. they went to play rugby league. Yes. They went to play rugby league, which is their right. You know, it's entirely, it's entirely <laughs> appropriate. If that's what they want to do, they go and play rugby league. And one of them, the, the, the youngest one, that was called Baby. That was his. Um, that was his sort of affectionate name. He ended up playing in the Foley Shield for Mount Isa, which was a very decent competition. Oh, wow. So he was a very sportsman, um, a very good rugby league player. And um, but you know, in a sense, we lost him, and we lost we lost all of those positive aspects of him and his brother as players. And it was a great regret. My father, you know, was was saddened by it, and and I was saddened by it as well because you know we lost two of our best players. <laughs> um, and uh, and it, it always it's always I've always wondered, you know, what on earth was that force that that drew Aboriginal kids out of soccer? Because you know, there's been quite a few went, you know, went into soccer at, at various stages. I mean, the, there are the famous people like Adam Goods yeah, definitely. and Pre- Pre- Preston Campbell, who I saw something about today uh, in the media. You know, they were they were soccer players. They loved the game, and you know, Goods apparently still loves the game. I imagine Preston Campbell does. You know, they. They watch it. They they support EPL teams. They goods plays um, uh, at, a, at a in an adult competition. Is that right? Am I right about that? That's what I, I've heard. That he definitely yeah. still watches the game and has a, de- yeah. a keen interest in it. Yeah. And so, what was the force? What was the force that drew these um, Aboriginal kids away from soccer? But even more interestingly, what was the force that kept some of them there in the game. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, you know, Charlie Perkins, John Moriarty, Harry Williams, um, Jade North, David Williams. You know, what kept them in the game? I, I spoke with David Williams once and he said he was a rugby player in uh, in, in Brisbane and he was a Oh really? He was he was a he was a goal kicker. You know, that's 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 what his gig was. He's probably a winger and a goal kicker, I'd imagine. Um and but what kept what kept them in the game? And so I, I thought, well, I, 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 would, I was spying, I was, I was looking for them, and I was seeing in Trove, I was seeing the odd reference to Aboriginal players, and I thought that was fascinating. But I didn't actually hear about Bondi, Bondi Neal, until um, I read, uh, oh, goodness, uh, The Soccer Tribe by, quickly <laughs> remind um, me. Maynard? Yeah, yeah, by John Maynard. And... Um, I uh, I read about Bondo and I thought, wow! And so um, this this is amazing. You know, he was a, a very good goalkeeper who played rep football in uh, in, in Maitland. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, but he, I think he was from. I'm, I'm still trying to work this out. I think he was from the south coast originally, and he went back to the south coast and played for your club. Played for Balgownie. Yeah, he did. Played for played for Coromel, Winuna. I'm yeah, thinking all, uh, all the big been, all the big clubs. He seemed to oscillate around around those clubs. He, you know, was a, he became a bit of a figure in, 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 in the Illawarra. He was a goalkeeping coach. He was a very good cricketer. Uh, earlier in his life, he was a good rugby player. He was also a, a good at quoits. I don't know, even know what that means to be good at quoits, but <laughs> apparently he was quite good at it. So, you know, he was an all-around sportsman. And this was uh, around was, the sort of 1900, 1910s, 1920s that well, yeah, he was in well, Maitland and the Illawarra yeah. and... Yeah, 
tens, twenties, thirties, and uh, he died in the forties, I think, even the early fifties. He, he he seemed to live a, a good life. Um, he actually left. Um, he left uh, Maitland during the Peter Bowling strike. Okay. Uh, and and I've recently discovered that Peter Bowling, who was the sort of a figure at the at the centre of that strike, um, was also a soccer player, which is not surprising. <laughs> how many soccer players there were in in the, in the, in the Hunter? Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so I I I saw his story, and and John in his book said, you know, and and the, that's the last we heard of him. You know, he finishes his narrative in the in in the teens. In the in the nineteen tens, and he, and I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll I'll take that as a challenge, and I I searched around Trove, and sure enough, you know, lots of information about Von Neil, and, and from what I understand is that John has updated the information um, in 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 the, uh, in the in the new version coming out, the new edition coming out soon, where he uh, he gives a fuller picture of uh, of Von Neil's life. And because, like you said, there was the the Moriarty's, the Perkins, yeah. that we all sort of, well, not all yeah. of us, but people that are keen on soccer and, and know yeah. their history, but this is sort of decades before this, before they yeah. were in, in the picture. Yeah. So it's yeah, important, and isn't and it? And there's my earlier chap, Quilp, um, who's, um, who's a, a Brisbane player, um, who's a really interesting figure. And as Gary McKenzie says, he's probably... More interesting as a kind of as a as a lonely indigenous character than he is as a soccer player. But he nevertheless played soccer in Brisbane in 1904, and I, I, I discovered him by seeing by looking at a picture of the Dinmore Bushrats. Yeah, a, a fascinating was, name for a team as well. Yeah, and he was hiding smack in the middle of, the, of this of this photo. So there's this team photo, and I'd seen this photo many times. And one day I was looking at it again, and there he is, this, this dark-skinned Aboriginal man, right in the middle of the photo. And I thought, <laughs> what on earth is going on here? How how is this guy here? How does he come to be here? Because it just defies common understanding of um, of soccer, of Aboriginality, and and all sorts of things. It's an amazing story. Yeah, well, it, it, it shows that um, people like yourself and and others that are that are researching the game that there's so many fascinating stories, um, and I encourage people to go back to the back catalogue if you know your history because yeah. there's always um, you know bits of trove or or other items that you and Paul are speaking yeah. about, and and yeah. so many of them could you know if you were um, talking commercially um not that that interests me but you could turn some of these into telly telly series or movies oh, for sure for sure bond o'neill has to be a an, he's a, an heroic figure and the more we learn about his early life um the, the the better picture we will be able to draw about him draw of him um but it's a it's a bit sketchy still for me at the moment uh, his um, his mother was uh, indigenous and his father was um, Scottish. Um, there's a great photo of him, and and again I, I, I saw this character again a goalkeeper smack in the middle of a photo. I thought, I reckon you were Bondi Neil, and it, it was it was B O Neil in yes. the um, 
in the in the team list, but I'm, I reckon I reckon it was Bondi Neal and. Uh, um, anyway, I, th- I think I'm, I think I'm correct about that. Was, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a nineteen thirteen picture from yeah. memory of the of the Bowgunny Rangers team, um, yeah, yeah, and with right. some committee men in the background, a, a lot of committee men, and and I think from uh, memory some second team players. So, um, yeah. and, and I think even even then it had a a small duty masters in the front row, um, yeah. who, who went right. on to do great yeah. things um, for our region in the sport. So, yep. so in terms of um, uh, that sort of material, um, does that what keeps you um, uh, passionate about the game and 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 the search for these types of items that you know tell a tell a different story about our game? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you've heard me say uh, at various times. I want to prove that soccer is ordinary. Yep. And I don't mean that it's average or neutral or... In a um, disparaging way, no. Yeah, I mean, it's just ordinary, an ordinary part of Australian culture. But we don't believe that. We don't we don't take that to heart. We think that our game, some of, some of us, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about um, you know, soccer as a whole, some of us think our game's really special. Yeah. I know it is a good game, but, you know, <laughs> we think... We, some of us think our game's the better game, the best game. It's superior to other sports, and some of us think the game doesn't belong here. Some of us thinks what some of us believe that we, we we don't have a place, and that's because you know sometimes we do feel pushed out. Yeah. And um, but also you know it's not native to Australia or something like that, and so we we fall into one or the other of the camps, and these are camps that work against the idea that soccer just belongs here. And the thing that I love about Ipswich, parts of Sydney, Newcastle and Wollongong is that that's, that story is just not even necessary. Yeah. It's just the, the games are just there. It's there, it belongs, it's part of the furniture. It's not a dominant part of the furniture. It is, it is sometimes in history, but it's, it's largely just a part of the furniture. It's ordinary, you know, without, um, without denigrating it. And in terms of um, another one of, uh, like I said, I, I encourage people to, to listen to the podcast of previous shows from FNR of If You Know Your History. Uh, one of the, um, I guess for me, um, in in the Football United vs Soccer City um, social media pages where I, I source pictures from the communities and, and, and libraries and, and any areas where I can get them and put them out there, um, to reminisce and to sort of um, give people a chance to look at what we've done as a sport, you, you then started um, uh, sort of uh, finding uh, items uh, like trophies and, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about the soccer ashes in a sec, but how did yeah. you then jump to, to trophies? Well, uh, trophies were, weren't really my... my primary interest but they've become an interest because they're, they're a measure of something and and the forgetting of trophies is also a measure of something um, I was um, I think um, I became fascinated with the story of, of, of Australian soccer's relationship to the military yep. and, and our role in, um, in, a, in especially in the Anzac campaign in, uh, in the First World War, and uh, 
the more I learned, the more I learned about the um, about the overwhelming commitment of people in the game to that process. Now, huh? um, I'm I wasn't. I don't think I would have been particularly in favour of of, um, of that war. I don't think what they did was a good thing necessarily. I don't think I don't think signing up for that war was necessarily a good thing. However, the point is that they did, and the other point is that that war and our involvement in it is a really important part of Australian mythology. Yeah, and and for us to have contributed to this mythology without taking any credit for that mythology seemed to me to be uh, something wrong about the game, you know. It might have been the wrong thing, it might have been a mistake, but we actually were there. And if Australian identity was forged on the the, the foot of the cliffs in Gallipoli, then, you know, soccer was there doing forging. a big part of it. Along with other people from other, other aspects of life. So that was my interest. And... Um, and I think my interest in trophies is sort of peripheral to that, but it's become an interest because the stories of missing trophies are just absurd. I mean, all, all games, all, all sports mistreat their, their records and their trophies, but I think we do an, an excellent job of doing that, a better job than most other codes. And also, we've got more trophies for some bizarre reason. We, uh, every 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 competition and every t- every city has three or four trophies, and uh, maybe other sports only have one. So what we what were we doing you know, uh, in that in that regard as well? So the yeah, trophies do become an interesting thing, but it's it's probably more recent that interest. And um, I guess from an Illawarra perspective, you know, you're right. Um, in the early 1890s, there was a a Hill Cup, which was uh, a hotel in Winuna. Um, the Royal Hotel, and then there was the Bode Cup, which um, the Bodes, um, who owned a hotel in North Wollongong and um, had a, an adjacent ground called the Centennial Grounds, they both had trophies uh, each year. Um, so yeah. um, you're right, there are a lot of examples of, of yeah. uh, where you're playing uh, in, you know, you can lose one cup but potentially win yeah. another. Well, in Melbourne in the 80s, there were two cups. There was the Beanie and the George and George Cup. And and as we discussed last night on the program, the, the Beanie Cup was got up because of the, the George and George Cup existed. And, and Beanie is this kind of rich guy who supported the game. And he, you know, it was, it was kind of like a dick measuring, really. You know, it was, uh, oh, you, you've got that cup. What about this one? You know, and it was... Um, that that was that was an interesting little tussle, and we still can't work out which was the more important trophy. However, what <laughs> interesting thing that happens with this trophy is that the game get you know gets into turmoil in the early early eighteen nineties, and uh, the, the captain of Carlton, the Carlton um, upheld both of the trophies, and the captain probably had them in his house, and he was owed money by the association, so he pawned them. Oh wow. Robert Amson, his name was, and he pawned them to uh, um, a, uh, a place in, in in Melbourne, and then they unsold them to uh, a place in Broken Hill, and they, they ground off all the um, the names and everything like that. And uh, I'm not sure what happened to the trophies because the cops supposedly retrieved them, but uh, nobody knows. So these immensely valuable trophies were, were lost to the game. 
um, for you know for nefarious reasons. He was charged with theft, but he ended up getting off. Well, uh, I, I think with those sort of 1890 trophies, the the Bode Cup and the Hill Cup, uh, I haven't um, come across them in in my travels. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. I've definitely come across um, uh, little medallions or trinkets um, yeah, that players uh, obtained by uh, winning them in in um, in different years. So, um, you know, I, I think that a hunt for for different trophies. Uh, can potentially yeah. be fruitful because uh, people uh, do tend to hold on to things, and sometimes yep. um, clubs go in and out of uh, being in formation, and and then people drift or drift around. So um, there's a possibility, and 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 that's another subject that I wanted to talk to you about. Is can you tell us a bit more about um, uh, the soccer ashes? Well, the soccer ashes. When I first when I first heard about it. Um, I thought, oh, this is how derivative and how sort of cheap is this? It's just a cheap copy. I mean, that was my initial response. Soccer Ashes were a, a trophy that was generated um, to um, to be a prize for the, um, the the international games between Australia and New Zealand. And it seemed initially when I when I when I read about it, it was just a sort of nod to the cricket Ashes. But it turns out that the trophy. Um, is is a complicated thing. It's uh, it, it's a cigar case that's been soldered up, and inside the cigar case were the ashes of cigars that were smoked at a sm- the first smoke night after the very first test series. And um, and that sounds a bit sort of daggy as well. But when you realise how important culturally these these things called smoke nights were, then it, it, it's 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 a different matter. And that cigar case also came from the, um, I think the president of the Queensland um, Football Association, who had actually carried that case. Sorry, I'm saying a cigar case, but I should say it's a razor case. He razor, carried the razor, yeah, the razor case at Gallipoli. He was a soldier at Gallipoli. He was injured at Gallipoli, and 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 the cigar case. I keep saying cigar case. The uh, razor case is the thing that he carried. And so it actually had been there. It had been at Gallipoli, and so it was used as part of the trophy. And then this case was in, was in further encased in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a cask or casket of um, wood from both Australia and New Zealand and, and beautifully designed and meant to be a perpetual trophy um, for the test series between the two countries. And it... The, um, the trophy lasted for 30 years. It was visible for 30 years. It was played for and it was won. The last time it was played for was in 1954. We won it, but no one has seen it since. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful object in itself, but it's also incredibly significant. And it has you know, military history value and it also has soccer history value. So it's a, it's a pretty important um, object and it's one that, Nobody knows anything about. Interestingly, I've talked to to some players that, who are still alive um, who uh, played in that series and they knew nothing about the Ashes. Well, so, I, I think um, if if people do go into Trove, um, and I will um, when I uh, in the next uh, week or so uh, upload uh, this podcast, uh, I'll put a picture of um, rather than a picture of me and yourself. Um, I'll put yeah. a picture of you know uh, that. Bondi Neal and 
and yeah. Philip and um, and there was a picture that um, you had uh, indexed or, or, or tagged uh, on Trove uh, from the Sun, where it yeah. says uh, they have real ashes in New Zealand soccer tests, and it gives a yeah. it's a pretty nice picture for yeah. of of what it is, and and I think um, I think there's a, a real possibility from that time um, that it could be found. I, I guess the Illawarra is linked to 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 that. Um, the soccer ashes is in that um, final test, um, and and the newspapers did say that it was um, presented to the Australians um, yeah. on the on the Saturday night um, after they won the third test. Um, yeah. The Illawarra's link is that um, Bobby Bignall, um, who is a socceroo and and um, a stalwart with uh, with Coromel and and played. Uh, numerous times for Australia, New South Wales and Illawarra was in the team um, and yeah. as well as that um, and another a Winuna legend who was a Socceroo, Charlie Stewart uh, played in the game so um, you know there, there's definitely uh, an interest from uh, apart from a macro Australian level there's there's an interest here yeah. for, for us Illawarra fans as well that you know they were yeah. supposedly at a dinner where even though they'd had the Ashes um, from the previous test series, that they were at this event where it was represented to the team, and and like you said, hasn't been seen since. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a number of people who are really keen to um, to find this. I'm I'm one of them. Uh, but uh, Chris Miku at the FFA uh, um, is 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 keen for us to find them, as was um, David Gallup. Although you know, things have changed now, I guess. With, uh, with David on his way out. Well, hopefully, um, like I said, you know, the, the 1890s and early 1900s, some of those uh, trophies might be uh, extremely hard yeah. to find. Um, but I, yeah. I think this one is a, a definite possibility. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe people would call me crazy in thinking that, but I think that um, it was from the picture that I've seen in the in the sun. It's very ornate. Um, yeah. It, it does present as a extremely nice um, item that you would yep. love to have. So, um, you know, uh, fingers crossed that, yeah, um, yeah, that the search uh, bears some fruit. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that, that, that's right, fingers crossed. I, I'm, I'm, I need to get to Sydney to start to, um, to interview some of, the, uh, some of the surviving socceroos about it, but it's... It's. I've talked to them on the phone, and it's uh, there's there's not a lot of certainty. Mm. So it's, uh, I'm I'm not sure what the process needs to be. I mean, yeah, maybe you know, maybe maybe dignitaries um, yeah. of the Australian team of the time might have been yeah. the, the yeah. gatekeepers of of that. Yeah, I mean, well, one possibility is that you know nobody cared about it. You know, because mm. because. because at that stage, soccer is becoming more and more of a, a localised club sport where rep- represent, representative games are becoming less important. Um, tests are becoming less important. And so it may well have just, you know, someone's put it in a cupboard and they've just forgotten about it. And, you know, hopefully that's what happened because it's just still sitting in a cupboard. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 hard, to, uh, it's hard to think it through. But well, hopefully that is the case. Hopefully it hasn't been destroyed. Well, like you said, it has a immense value to the sport, but um, also has a, a crossover to our uh, military history as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a it's it's a bona fide sport and war trophy. You know, it's like uh, the crossover is is really there. And um, do the, those um, uh, like I said, is it those sort of um, things that I guess when you're in trove, um, you can sometimes go down a, a rabbit's hole of, um, yeah. I guess, looking at one thing. Um, seeing a, a great story or, or yeah, narrative in there, and then sort of going down that path is—is is that is that hard sometimes for you? Uh, I guess in your vocation, and then just normally when you're searching for these things, that you might be a bit worried in a positive sense that you see something else. Yeah, well, it's—I um, mean, uh, I, I'm not sure that I, I go in necessarily with a with a plan all the time. <laughs> Because there's so much there, it's it's really is a buffet, and and it's the, and and not not many things have been taken from the buffet, you know. The lots of prawns are still there, if you like, and um, and it's there's lots of tracks you can follow. And uh, I mean, Gary McKenzie has said recently that searching for first kicks in um, Western Australia, for example, you get on a train line almost, and you have to go to the next station. And the next station, and it's like, there's a, oh my god, here's another town that's playing the game in 1912. You stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously we don't we don't want them to stop it. We want we want more and more games to be found. But um, yeah, it's 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 such a wealth of information there that probably only two percent of it has been tapped. And it's um, it's getting harder and harder to tap it because the easy searches have been done. Yeah, and you have to you have to use the sort of the, 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 the smart searches to um, to find you know deeper information. Right. But yeah, I, I, I kind of love it. It's um it's it's great fun. You know, it's it's, it's a puzzle. There's, there are puzzles that you, you you find that you discover and you and you solve. Um, I mean, the first kicks at the moment is, is my focus. That's what I'm really really uh, interested in. But I'm also finding. Now I'm coming to the point where I've realised that we need to we need to understand more about certain individuals. There are some really interesting individuals that are pretty much unknown in the history of the game, and maybe we need to tell their stories a little bit more. There's a couple of guys in Melbourne, one called Beeson, or two brothers called Beeson, who came to who came to Australia in the 1880s, and came to Melbourne in the 1880s, and they walked into the Victorian team. They were that good. Uh, they were good players. In the early 90s, they leave the game. They're more interested in cricket. One's more interested in cycling. And then at one point, one becomes the secretary of, a, of a, an Australian rules club. And, and, then, um, and then his uh, offspring, you know, don't go to the game. So what is this rift? You know, what, these really strong characters come to Australia, they love the game, they play it, and then they leave it. What is this rift that occurs in, in, the, in the early 1890s in Melbourne? Or is it just a dissipation? I mean, these are really good questions, and they'll be told through. Um, the answers, they'll be answered through investigating the biographies of, of some really interesting Those figures. And, yeah. and do, you think, um, uh, do you think this sort of lends itself, I guess, in a way to, um, and I guess there is hopefully a debate uh, at the at the top of the tree at FFA level about uh, potentially a, a, a digital museum. I know there's a yeah. lot of people 
Um, you know, yeah. one great example is Mark Borich, who, um, yeah. who's an yeah. inspiration for myself, uh, apart from yourself and, and yeah. Paul. Oh, he's just a, I don't know if it's the right word, but he's just a machine. Um, he's the top of the tree. I mean, he's, he's, he's the most important person in, um, in, in Australian soccer history at the moment, as far as I'm concerned. He's doing, he's doing the work, he's providing an example, and he's just not managing to impress enough people in, in you know people holding the purse strings mm. people holding the, the ability to, to, to make calls for for um, information for for um, for artifacts of the game and so, but you know he's just he's, what he's doing is brilliant and uh, yeah so do you think um, with that sort of information that's on trove, and then the information that he's finding that others are putting out there, um, and mm. first kicks that surely we deserve a, a digital museum as, yeah. a, as yeah. a minimum, and yeah. it has to be funded from the top. Yeah, we do, and, and and there needs to be, you know, the platitudes about history need to be converted into um, commitment. You know, and we're talking about you know a fair bit of money that's needed, but not you know not ridiculous amounts of money either but we need to actually start you know getting some archivists getting some you know people who can do the technical parts of these yeah. jobs into a position to to set up structures and I've, i'm 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 toying with this idea of a of a of a of a, an organization called afra okay. association association for all resources in australia which um will be a an umbrella body that sort of that that does an inventory of what we have, and then comes up with plans about how we um, how we collect and how we save and store stuff. But you know that this also needs um, you know backing. It needs backing from the FFA, from the state organisations, from the clubs, and and the governments yeah. tiers of government. Yeah. Okay, yep. well, um, once again, I'd like to thank you for interrupting your uh, Friday evening. I, I no know problem. it's, um, like I said, um, for a long period, um, yourself and, and Paul and Mark and, and now Gary and, and many other guys on on um, Soccer Twitter um, um, with this hitch, history bent have really been um, an inspiration for people like myself in terms of... Uh, you know, uh, doing what I do, which is not that much, but, um, you know, doing a podcast as well and, and trying to, no. although oral history has its uh, pros and cons, trying to do what we can to um, impress upon people our, our uh, history is rich and um, there's a lot of a lot of uh, good material there for us to yeah. reminisce and, and well, learn about. Well, Soccer Twitter comes in with some sticks sometimes, you know, and it can be a bit extreme in the way it carries on. But I think the historian faction of Soccer Twitter is just doing excellent work, and we're all on the same page, we're all on the same team, and it's and, and there's, there's none of those, those that stupid uh, internecine um, fighting that happens, and we're, we're all really kind of supportive of each other, and that's a really enjoyable part of uh, Twitter for me. And that's it, you know, and everybody's part of this, you know, and, you know, you, you're as much part of it as anybody else, and it's like, um, it's a great little culture, I think. Yeah, I definitely uh, 
um, enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you don't get to see the people physically um, as you do a, yeah. as part of a committee or, or as a soccer club, but it's a it's a club nonetheless. And um, yeah. like I said, um, I encourage people to um, uh, re-listen uh, to previous podcasts of If You Know Your History, um, to follow yourself on Twitter, and I think it's just a, a simple at Ian Sison. Um, yep. And, and as well as that, um, look at some of your stuff. If they just Google your name about um, the Fox Sport story about the soccer ashes or, or yeah. even even yeah. your um, your blog, your excellent blog, Neos Osmos, and, and um, First Kicks, um, I think people will be uh, uh, suitably impressed. Uh, um, they'll learn a lot and um, hopefully it gets some other people interested so we can uh, get as much information out there about the game as possible. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Travis. That's a terrific, uh, terrific wrap. Well, thank you very much, Ian. Um, enjoy your evening, and um, you. we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. Well, there we go. Another episode completed. Sincere thanks to Ian for allowing me to interrupt his Friday evening and delve into his thoughts and knowledge. I respect the time he gave me, and overall I respect what he is doing for the game in our country. Finally, thanks again to the listeners for your support, and please keep listening. I am your host Travis, goodbye for now. (laughs) 